Good morning, Cornerstone, wherever this video finds you. It is the first Sunday of the season uh, that many Christians call Lent, season of 40 days where we contemplate Jesus's journey to the cross, uh, a journey that uh, for us as the church culminates uh, on Resurrection Sunday. So um, I'm going to pick up the reading that that comes with this first Sunday of Lent from, you guessed it, the Gospel of Mark. Before I read the passage, I just want you to uh, watch a video, uh, a comedy skit, actually, that's going to pop up right now. Very well. They're coming. Now we'll see how these Russians deal with a crack SS division. Uh, hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Hans, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. <laughs> Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit? They've got skulls on them. <laughs> Have you noticed that our caps have actually got Little pictures of skulls on them. I don't, uh... Hands. Are we the baddies? So, picking up the reading before I get to the reason why you watched that uh, ridiculous skit. Picking up the reading for this Sunday from Mark's Gospel. Uh, we find ourselves in chapter 1, uh, verses 9 to 15 and it says this at that time jesus came from nazareth in galilee and was baptized by john the baptist in the jordan as jesus was coming up out of the water he saw a heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. One of the things that, that I like uh, about that skit that you watched, Hans, are we the baddies? Uh, one of the things I, I, I like about it, apart from uh, the fact that, I mean, you know, it's politically complex, but still funny, uh, is it says something about the fact that uh, we as human beings are, are story tellers and story hearers and, and we understand our place in the world in fact we understand the very nature of the world around us through stories and uh there's a moment of realization that happens in that clip isn't there where uh where there's a level of self-awareness uh from that ss officer that sadly was probably lacking uh, in, in real life, 
um, but is often lacking in real life. For many of us, at knowing exactly who we are in the story that is going on in the world around us. We have this tendency, don't we, to want to pitch ourselves as the hero of the story. When things are going well, we take responsibility for it. It's something that we've done. When things aren't going well, well, in order to maintain that the story is about us, that we are the hero, then so often we pitch ourselves as the victim. And um, something of human nature, something of, of our selfishness, really, that makes us see the world in that way. There's a lot going on in this passage from Mark 1 uh, that we've had a look at. But what I want to pick up on is something that I've spoken about a bit when we've looked at this passage. And we've looked at uh, this story from the Gospels a few times. Um, but I want to pick up on the nature that this story is about reframing Israel's story. So, to cover well-worn ground for us here at Cornerstone, we know that the first readers or hearers of the Gospels uh, who knew Israel's story would have recognized in this passage about what's going on in the wilderness, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation then of Jesus in those 40 days in the wilderness, as a reframing of Israel's story. Now, I've quoted the prophets before in the way that in the prophets, Israel is identified as God's son and how Jesus is also God's son. And so when we see Jesus passing through the waters of baptism, it's though he's passing through those waters of the sea uh, that Israel or the Hebrews passed through on their escape from Egypt as he is in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. It's though he is again the son of God the Hebrews, Israel, in the wilderness for 40 days. And as I've mentioned before, where Israel so often failed to be faithful to their delivering God, their father who loved them in the wilderness, we see that Christ comes through as the faithful son. Jesus is saying, Israel, it's not as though you're the baddies, are we the baddies? But the point of the story the point of what God chose to do through Israel was not about them. It was not about whether they were the baddies or the goodies. They were like all of us. They were a mixture, right? But it was about actually God's love for the world and the fact that he chose them as his son to show his love to the world. And that was something in their humanity, again, like all of us, they failed, right? This is something that we read the history of Israel in the Old Testament up and down. Occasionally they got a good king. Sometimes they were living out of God's identity and plan for them, but so often failing to live up to that mark. And so what Jesus is doing then as, as God's faithful son is he's fulfilling the purposes that God had for the world through Jesus. God chose Israel for those purposes. 
Israel's purpose is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And that is that the world would know that God loves the world. As John says in his gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? This isn't a new ground for us at Cornerstone. We know this story. I have had a lot going on this week as I've thought about this in relation to Lent, thought about the way that in this story, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he is living into Israel's story so that, uh, so that the story of what God is doing in the world for all nations, for all people, is reframed in such a way that, that the people who witness Jesus, should they have eyes to see and ears to hear, see that God is doing something special. He's bringing to fulfillment the, the, the vocation, the, the plan that he had for Israel. And um, thinking about how in our own lives, in our own humanity, as we often, though we might be sometimes as a baddies, uh, we frame ourselves, you know, as the heroes. Um, and, and how sometimes it just takes a change of perspective. Someone new coming into our life and seeing our life and who we are afresh or maybe circumstance changing, shifting just slightly so all of a sudden we see our life in a different way. Uh, that the story of our life can change. And I think if we're growing, if God is, is gracing us with the right people and the right circumstances, actually we, we, we see things more clearly. Hopefully when we come to know Jesus, actually we see that um, in some ways we are Zabatis, uh, maybe not maybe not so much that we're the baddies or the goodies, as I've said before, but actually that Jesus is, is the ultimate good, the ultimate source of life, and who's had that experience of being aware of, of your sinfulness, of your brokenness, of your need for Jesus when he comes into your life. I believe that uh, the road ahead of us the road up to Easter and the road beyond is, is, is an opportunity for, for us to perhaps have the story reframed again. There are elements of the Christian story that, are, that I've always found a little confusing, a little perplexing parts of the Bible, parts even of Jesus' story that I haven't seen clearly. And one of them was the one that I preached on last week. So you might remember that I preached on the configuration, the transfiguration, the configuration, the transfiguration and, and how Jesus had this amazing uh, manifestation of God's power through him on the mountaintop before a few of his disciples where he appeared with Elijah and with Moses and how actually the point of that story is found in verse 1 of chapter 9 where Jesus says, I tell you, some of you will not taste death before you see the kingdom 
come in power, this kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming. And, you know, that was a head scratcher for me for many years because I assumed, like lots of people continue to, that the kingdom coming in power would be the kingdom coming in a power that I would recognize, perhaps a power that I would want as a human in my in my humanity. But in fact, Jesus, I suggested, was having just been teaching his disciples about the fact that he would need to suffer and die, was pointing to the fact that actually his crucifixion is the very moment when his kingdom comes in power. And that is quite a different proposition to the the kingdom coming in power in the second coming that I think I envisioned growing up. And I think I envisioned it because there's lots of Christian resources out there that frankly, I think misled me, Uh, misled me to think that, that, that I used the language last week of, of, of the crucifixion almost being a speed bump on the way to the second coming when God would truly come in power as if, you know, for some reason that will always be a mystery to us. Jesus, you know, had to suffer and die. But actually when God's kingdom is fully manifest, it will be fully manifest in the second coming when he comes to, uh, to crush his enemies one way or another. It's such a flip actually to realize and it makes sense he says to his disciples that you will not taste death before you see the kingdom come in power it makes sense to realize that jesus was actually talking about the cross the moment when he would be crowned when he would be exalted as king when his kingdom would come in power that is quite a different kind of power isn't it Listen, I know this is a tricky one, right? It's for the, the very reason of the hardness of this teaching that, that many Christians haven't landed where I'm suggesting we, we might land at least for a season of consideration. Some Christians have suggested that when Jesus was talking in Matthew, in Mark 9, 1, about the kingdom coming in power that he was talking about the transfiguration that he was about to go through just a couple of verses later some have suggested that maybe it was talking about pentecost when the holy spirit fell on the church community on the followers of jesus some uh like i i did for many years imagined that the kingdom coming in power was referring to the second coming and there's arguments for and against i mean what was always tricky for me about the the view that I think I got from from a lot of mainstream church culture of of the kingdom coming in power being in the second coming was that Jesus's disciples died right I mean we're still waiting for that if that's the kingdom coming in power if you listen closely to my sermon from last week you will have picked up that though I believe that the transfiguration was um, a manifestation of the kingdom to believe that that is the the pinnacle picture of the kingdom coming in power is to miss the point of that story because 
it would speak against. The point that I think we need to wrestle with. Actually, Jesus is saying his death is the moment when the power of God's kingdom is manifest and seen most clearly. We're going to go into um, a series for some time this year here on where we look at the notion of the kingdom and we go directly to Jesus' words. You know, the main thing uh, that Jesus preached about was his kingdom. It was the most important message, the central message of his ministry, announcing the good news of the kingdom. I reckon if it was the main thing for Jesus, it should be the main thing for us. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the very words of Jesus as he preached about the kingdom of God. I want to offer up that last week's teaching and this week's teaching function as something of a key to understanding those stories of the kingdom, that the kingdom comes in power in Jesus's crucifixion, in his suffering and his death. Now that is a challenging idea, but I think it's one worth wrestling with. What will it mean for our understanding of the kingdom, our place in the kingdom? If, say, more than uh, when we see the spiritual gifts manifest in power, if more than that as a picture of the kingdom, that the cross is a picture of the power of the kingdom? What would it mean if more than our material blessing, our success in this world as a picture of the kingdom of God, as a manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God? What would it mean if above that, the cross was a picture, was the manifestation of the power of the kingdom? What would it mean if even more than healing, miraculous healing that we may have experienced that we might hope for as a picture, as a manifestation of the power of the kingdom? What would it mean if above that, the cross was the picture of the power and the manifestation of the power of the kingdom? What if above the transfiguration, above Pentecost, above the second coming of Jesus? The key to understanding power of the kingdom that the picture of the power of the kingdom that the manifestation of the power of the kingdom the clearest understanding that we could have of the power of the kingdom was the cross it's a question (laughs) that that i'm going to leave with us uh, that we're going to wrestle with But I I think if it's true, and I think that's where Mark's been directing us, it's radical, isn't it? It's a reframing, potentially a total change of what it means to be a subject of the kingdom of God, to be a disciple of Jesus. Hey, uh, 